Good morning. My name is Jonah, and I'll be reading a poem inspired by this week's Beatitude. It is entitled, Peace is Made, and was written by Lois Saylor. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. They run except whenever it's time to walk. Their shoes are made of peace. They can stand still. They speak a silence and light a prayer like a candle. They keep sacred promises and holy kisses and easily wash their feet. And when they grow up, they become children. Good morning, church. Um, always a joy and pleasure to be with you all. Um, I think, yeah, there's a couple sprinkled in. I was going to say welcome again to the crew at Kenbrook. We're so glad to have you. Um, forgot to mention our first service. I think Alicia, Levi, and Devante are three of our young adults who will be serving at Kenbrook all summer. So just a reminder to you um, to not just pray for Kenbrook as a whole, but hopefully you got a chance to say hello to some of the crew that's back there and to pray for them all throughout the summer. Um, I know personally my faith camp was a huge part of how I got here. Um, this is a chance for kids to unplug and to be away and to focus on God for a week. And what a treasure that is, you know, to, to be in an environment where for the entire week, the camp staff, us here at home praying, parents are all focused on them growing in God for that week. So please do be in prayer for the Kenbrook staff and the, the many youth and kids who will be impacted. Um, this morning, we're going to continue our sermon series on the Beatitudes, Promises of the Kingdom. Again, we've been stressing that to understand these Beatitudes, we have to hold them as a whole. And to do that, we're going to be reading Matthew 5, 1 to 12. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. Um, we also are going to have it up front. Again, for these Beatitudes, it's a composite picture, which means that they all fit together to tell us what it looks like to live and follow Jesus Christ. Uh, each week, we've been looking at one verse, one bite at a time, and we've been challenged by Jesus's teaching, which means we need to come ready to learn. And that uh, Jesus's call means that we need to submit to it and come ready to do it. However, this week, and specifically thinking of this beatitude, I was, I was reminded strongly by the Spirit about how with the beatitudes, yes, Jesus wants us to stand before him. That's what the beatitudes are challenging because it brings you naked and, 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 and full front in front of Jesus and saying, God, here I am, you know? And it's a scary place to be sometimes. But again, they also tell us that we need God and we need each other. So it's okay to stand before God if he's already on your side, Amen. But the thing that hit me this week, though, is that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, and specifically in these Beatitudes, cares about right living. He cares about, you know, your motives. He cares about your actions. He cares about whether or not you're following his example. For Jesus, it's not enough for you to say, I believe in you. It's do you follow me? But Jesus also cares about right thinking, which means that he wants us to have his perspective on things. One of the greatest mistakes we make sometimes is to think that we can love better than God can love. Uh, we are the moral center of the universe. We care more than God cares. And, and, and we're very good at this and we're very good at being Christians until somebody cuts off in line in grocery store. You know, then it's just like everything's wrong with the world, right? Or, or until something goes wrong or until something that, that just really irks us. But again, Jesus wants us increasingly to have his perspective on things because he's the God who made us. He's the God who designed us. He's the God who fashioned us. He's the God who left heaven to take on our skin, to walk this earth. He knows everything we've been through. And because of that, he knows us so perfectly that he knows that if you don't have the right perspective, you're not going to live the right way. And if you don't have my perspective and, and trusting me as the moral center of the universe, you'll either be worshiping yourself 
are not worshiping me at all. So Jesus cares about having the right perspective. You have your Bibles? Turn with me to Matthew 5, or we'll also have it up front, starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. The disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This morning we're going to open in prayer. Um, I'm actually chosen to use a prayer that's um, given to St. Francis, but we're pretty sure he didn't write it. Um, if, uh, for those of you who will be here when I'm gone, please do stuff like this, you know, like, but like, this is great genius prayer. Hank wrote it. I'm going to be in heaven anyway, so you might as well, you know, just, just, just a suggestion. Let's pray together. Uh, the St. Francis prayer of peace. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring your light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that one receives. It is in self-forgetting that one finds. It is in pardoning that one is pardoned. And it is in dying that one is raised to eternal life. Amen? These Beatitudes, we've been talking about how they're a composite picture. And this week, I, I realized that, you know, one of the things I was trying to do with these Beatitudes was, was kind of tie them in forcibly to the BIC core values. And it finally hit me on the, the second to last sermon that if the Beatitudes are a composite picture of life in the kingdom, the core values are a composite picture of what it means to be brethren in Christ. I love the BIC core values because... For many of us in the Brethren in Christ Church, and this is not just Harrisburg, this is not just Philadelphia, this is not just Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, this is the world Brethren in Christ Church. These core values are, are what we've united around, and this is kind of what signify what we believe and who we are. And what I love about these core values is, you know, I found out a couple, I think a couple months ago when I said this, that I said, yeah, a bunch of people we don't know got together, and at the end, Pastor Woody's like, you know, I was one of those people. So Pastor Woody and a bunch of people we don't know got together, and they came up with these core values. And I love about them is that they, 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 in my finding the Brethren in Christ 11 years ago, in my wrestling with, is this where I belong, they kind of felt home to me. Some of the BIC core values are this, experiencing God's love and grace, believing the Bible, worshiping God, following Jesus, belonging to the community of faith, witnessing to the world, serving compassionately, pursuing peace, living simply, relying on God. Now, hopefully, every Christian community 
thinks these are values they're worth having. But what I love about the BIC is that we had a, a unique um, grouping of these 10 and then a unique way of fleshing them out. Now, even though I say that the core values are, are just like the Beatitudes, you got to understand the whole picture. If I forced you to pick one core value that made up the BIC, a lot of us might choose this one, pursuing peace. We value all human life and promote forgiveness, understanding, reconciliation, and nonviolent resolution to conflict. When I was looking for a church home, it wasn't just HBIC I dreamed of. It was a people who collectively believe in peace. It was a people who actually valued all human life. What does it mean to value all human life? Well, some of us get it wrong because we ascribe it to a political party as if the parties are not out for themselves, they're out for us or, or even our world. When we talk about human life, I love that this group of people said, we value babies, we value mothers, we value fathers, we value families, we value the immigrant, we value the uninsured, we value our sisters and brothers in Africa, we value our sisters and brothers in South America, we value all human life. And we don't need a political party to define what life is because our Jesus defined what life is, so we value all human life. And that makes us unique because a lot of our churches are ascribing to political parties what it means to value life. But are we willing to be the words that we say and to value every single human life? And this is a group of people who said we want to promote forgiveness. This doesn't just mean that we're called to forgive. This doesn't just mean that we're going to try to forgive, but that we are going to promote forgiveness as one of our greatest ideals. And it makes sense in light of these Beatitudes, because remember what Jesus says, give mercy because you have been given much mercy. It's not just enough for us to forgive, but we must consistently hold up forgiveness as the ideal or one of the ideals of the Christian life. We must be defined as people who forgive people who show compassion, people who show mercy, people who look like Jesus Christ. And then reconciliation. What does reconciliation look like? In a country that's been divided by racial injustice, in a country that's been divided for 400 years where we haven't ever looked at each other as truly brothers and sisters, in a country that would dare call itself Christian but has looked nothing like Jesus Christ for 400 years. Are we willing to value reconciliation? Are we willing to truly, for the first time in our history, say we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are one together. When you hurt, I hurt. When you're broken, I'm broken. When you're oppressed, we're all oppressed. As Ella Baker famously said, and Fannie, Fannie Lou Hamer famously said too, we ain't free till we're all free. Are we willing to, for the first time, not be defined by what separates us, but be united by the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us one? Are we willing to work for reconciliation in a country that loves to keep us divided? And then nonviolent resolution to conflict. You know, whenever I tell people, you know, I, I believe in peace and, and I, my, my goal is to try to be a peacemaker. I have a couple of friends who went to the school of Constantine and I, I like to remind them that we follow Jesus Christ, not, not my African brother and not Augustine, my African brother, and not Constantine. Because I don't believe in just war. I believe that war is never good. I believe that war kills people. I believe that war is not what we're called to do and be. I believe that God wants us to be peacemakers. 
I think God takes that very seriously when he says, love your enemies. I don't think this is something God wants us to wrestle with. I think it's something God wants us to walk in. But whenever I say that, people say, you know, what would happen if they put a gun to your wife's head? And I said, well, you know, my wife's, you know, they, they've kind of been thinking about this for about a couple hundred years, you know. So if they put a gun to my wife's head, you know what she'll say to me? She'll say, well, uh, I'll see you in heaven and uh, let's pray for your counseling because you're going to be needing it and I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? God, I think, wants us all to get there. But I also think God understands we all might not be there. So what God wants us to do, and I think this morning what we need to hear is it's a process to getting there. And even if you're not there, we don't have to start at the extreme example. We can start where we are. Because peacemakers are making peace, not just in the extreme examples, but in every single day in every single way, in every single relationship. I can't worry about someone putting a gun to my wife's head if me and my brother aren't speaking. I can't worry about whether or not I believe in war if I'm warring with my boss. I can't, I can't, can't say I, I follow Jesus and, and Jesus, Jesus is the God of peace if everyone who looks at me and looks at my life and says, I don't see any of this peace you're talking about. It is not enough for us to just say, you know, this is the ideal, but Jesus wants us to choose nonviolent resolution to all of our conflicts. Jesus wants us to be people who bring and make peace. So Jesus is calling us to choose our faith in him over our fists, to, to, to not be willing to go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, but be more willing to get down on our knees and pray for those who insult us, those who persecute us, those who irk us, those who hurt us. Are we willing to be those kind of peacemakers? Because our world needs it. See, the default in this world is brokenness, and the default in this world is violence. I had a friend, a couple, um, one of the things is that I realize how, how much accepting of violence I am and we are as a culture when someone from outside the culture says something to me. You know, I had a friend, or one of my cousins I was talking to a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about seeing this movie John Wick. You know, and he was like, yeah, yeah it's like 300 people died. You know, I was just like, oh, yeah, 300 people died. And then I was like, wait, 300 people died in one movie. It was like two and a half hours or two hours, right? We're so accepting of violence in our culture and it's very conflicting to our God who wants peace. We're so accepting of violence, not just in our movies, but in our everyday scenes, in our life, how we talk to each other, how we love each other, how we even try to walk with each other. We're so accepting of conflict and, 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 and violence that we don't realize that the default might be violence and brokenness. But you're more than the default. You're not called to remain broken. You're not called to keep festering in conflict and violence. You're called to redemption. You're called to restoration. You're called to reconciliation. And if the default is violence and brokenness, that looks like devil. But if you're called and living for redemption and restoration and reconciliation and rebuilding your friendships and your relationships and the brokenness that's within and the brokenness that's in the world, then you look like Jesus. And that's the kind of peace that Jesus is calling us to this morning. Now, even though we've been painting this picture for the last several weeks, it's important to stop and just assess the entire picture. I thought this was important because we're not going to finish the sermon for another three weeks. So we got to do the whole picture. Jesus begins by asking us or giving the blessing to the poor in spirit. By this, Jesus is calling us to empty ourselves of all the ills of this world, to empty ourselves of the things that kill, to empty ourselves of the things that aren't pleasing to him. 
And this is a process. And this is an everyday process where you go like David and say, God, search me and know me. Take away any wicked way in me and lead me in a way of the everlasting. It's a frightening prayer, but it's a liberating prayer. It's a scary prayer because you might have to let go of some good things because they're not what's God's best for you. It's a frightening prayer because you might have to answer before God and say, here's where my brokenness lies. Here's where I fall short, but I need you to take this from me and lead me in your way of the everlasting. To be poor in spirit is a consistent process of having the spirit of God come in you and regenerate new life. Take away the death so that you can rise to new life. It's a process you have to commit to doing over and over again. And while you're in this process, you will stop and you will see that the world is broken around you. You will stop and you will see that you fall short and that you're broken yourself. And this should cause you to grieve. We have to get back to grieving our sin. We're very good at making excuses for our sin. We're very good at calling everything but sin, sin. But we have to get back to being heartbroken. Just like when you hurt somebody you love, we have to realize that our sin hurts our God. We have to grieve our sin because when we fall short, when there's good left undone, when we hurt the people around us, when we don't live as we're like, like Jesus calls us to live, when we're not grace and love and mercy, not only does the world around us suffer, but our relationship with God suffers and we suffer. We have to get to a point where we're grieving our sin. It's not just enough to say, God, I sin, forgive me, and then keep moving. But we have to take a step back and grieve our sin. Because when you truly grieve that brokenness and you hold on to the forgiveness of God, then he can start to set you free. Because if you're not willing to grieve the sin, you're just going to keep living in that cycle over and over again. Take time to not just ask for forgiveness, but take time to grieve. Grieve that sin. And the joy of grieving that sin is when you mourn. God promises his comfort, amen? So you're going to have this process of emptying yourself out of the things that kill and asking God to fill you with the things that life. And while you're doing that, you'll grieve the things that kill, the things that you do that make you fall short, and God will comfort you. And while you're trying to do all that, Jesus says, I got a goal for you. You know what the goal is? I want you to do the right thing at the right time always. That's what it means to be meek, to do the right thing at the right time always. And this one's the one where I'm like, yeah, this is where we definitely need Jesus and we need the people around us. How do you do the right thing at the right time always? You ask the Holy Spirit to help. And you pray that God puts you around a community of saints that's going to help elevate you and grow you in your faith so that you can grow in them. And when I say the community of faith, I've been talking a lot about our local church here. But praise God, the community of Jesus Christ is way more than Harrisburg Brethren in Christ. It's way more than our city. It's way more than our denomination. It's way more than our great state of Pennsylvania. It's way more than the United States of America. It's great more than the world. Because our community of faith that we get to learn from, that we get to rely on, that we get to, 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 to look at, to push us along, is every Christian who's ever believed. And it's every Christian who will ever believe. That's the family you belong to. You have a devil who wants to keep you isolated and alone and think you're in this by yourself. 
You have a God who says we're in this together. You're part of my body, and my body is everyone who's ever believed. When you're being emptied out and becoming poor spirit, when you're grieving this reality of sin, when you're displaying the character of God, you can't help but do God's work because you will hunger and thirst to make the world as it should be. As Christians, we lose the privilege of saying the world's broken. We lose the privilege of saying the world's dark. We lose the privilege of saying things are not as it should be because God will forever answer you, I have you and I have the spirit. What are you doing to fix that brokenness? How are you shining your light in that darkness? How are you making this world whole? And if you're doing all this, how can you not be merciful? How can you not forgive because you've been forgiven? Give mercy because you've been given much mercy. So if we're willing to go through the process of emptying ourselves out to be filled by God, if we're willing to grieve our sin and the reality that this world is broken, if we're willing to try to live in love like Jesus lived in love, if we're hungering and thirsting to do God's work, and if we're merciful and having the perspective that God has greatly forgiven us, how can we not forgive? It'll get to this point where we have to finally stop and breathe and ask the simple question, Lord, am I right before you? And this is a question I hope we ask every single day. One of the great lies we tell ourselves is that this life is about the decisions we make. It's never about the decisions you make. I'll take that again. It's never about the decisions you make. Because so much pressure we put on ourselves, should I go right or should I go left? Should I do this or should I do that? You know a greater question of what decision I have to make in this situation? The greatest answer is simply this, is your heart right before God? Because here's the truth. If your heart's right before God and, and he wants you to go right, you will go right and he will bless it. If your heart's right before God and he wants you to go right and you choose to go left, you still have a God who makes a crooked path straight. You still have a God who will say, Hank, I know you messed up again, but eventually this is what I want you to do. Because if your heart's right before God and you're making a wrong step, he will tell you. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. He gives you the freedom to choose to reject him. But if your heart's right with him, you will come back home again and he will put you on that right path. And the greatest joy I found in this life, in ministry, in life in itself, is that when God then says to you, I know you've been through this and this and this. Here's your sister. Can you help her now get to this point? Because I took you through to help her. Or I took you through to help him. It's not about the choices you have to make. It's simply about God and my right before you. And this is the kind of peace that Jesus is introducing. If we want to figure out what it means to be peacemakers, Jesus is saying, follow my example. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. The peace, the root word here in the Greek in the New Testament is irene. In the Old Testament, it's actually shalom. We sang this morning, if you go further east, they call it salam. This idea of peace, we must understand this. I think for so long, we misunderstand peace and what Jesus is actually calling us to. Sometimes we think peace is the absence of conflict. Or we think peace is when all the kids go to sleep and you get to sit up and just, <sighs> and that might be your peace. And it's a good peace, trust me. <laughs> that might be your peace, but that's not the peace that God wants for the world. And I'd even venture to say that's not the only peace God wants for you. There's got to be more than that, because this peace, this irene, this salam, this shalom, it's joy, utmost joy, it's well-being, utmost well-being. It's good, that's the greatest good that God has given for the world. 
This peace that God wants is not just so you can let your hair down and breathe. It's what is the best for your sister? What is the best for your brother? How can I use you to do the greatest good? This shalom, this irene, this salam, it's harmony. That's right relationship with God. If you want peace with God this morning, you got to start in right relationship with God. And the only way to be in right relationship with God is to acknowledge who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And it's to believe on his name. If you want right relationship with God this morning, you have to say, God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world to show me how to live. But you also have to say, God, thank you for sending your son and letting him go to Calvary's cross because I fell short, because I have sinned, because I'm not good, I'm not perfect, because I can't make it up this mountain on my own, because there's nothing I can do by myself to get me with you forever. Because what I've earned for my sin is separation from you. The wages of sin is death and separation from God. But praise God for your son, Jesus Christ, because by him dying on that cross, I get to be redeemed. I get to be saved. I get to be set free. And in that redemption, in that restoration, thank you for Jesus who shows me that death is not the scariest thing because he's defeated it. Thank you for Jesus who showed me that the work has been done, has been accomplished, has been finished. And thank you, God, for raising him on the third day to show me that there's no darkness I go through that you can't bring life out of. There's no brokenness I go through that you can't resurrect me out of. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power now living in me. Praise God for his salvation. The peace Jesus wants for you is right relationship with God. And the only way to have right relationship with God is say, God, I fall short. God, I need you. God, forgive me of my sins. God, cleanse me of all unrighteousness. God, take every wicked way that's within me and let it go and forgive me and lead me in the way of Jesus Christ. Lead me in the way of the everlasting. If you want peace as Jesus promises and as Jesus blesses this morning, you have to have right relationship with God. And if you've never made that decision this morning, I, I implore you to just stop listening to me and listen to the Holy Spirit and come home this morning. And for all of us who've made that decision, every single day you must do this. Every single day you must recommit your life to Jesus. Why? Because this world will always pull you away. On this side of heaven, you will always have other things that are way more important than Jesus. So every morning when you wake up, say, God, I need you. God, I'm giving my life to you. God, I want to praise for you. God, I want to be right with you. God, lead me in the way of the everlasting. Peace is harmony with God and right relationship with God. And you cannot say you believe in Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus if you're not in peace with him. You're not in right harmony with him. And for most of us, that sounds good. I like trusting God. I like him handling all that. I like him setting free. You know, peace of God is not just peace, irene, shalom, salam with you and God. It's also peace with your sister. And it's also peace with your brother. And just like you can't say you're in right relationship with God and you have God's peace, if you're not in right relationship with him, you can't have God's peace if you're not in right relationship with your sister who you see and you don't love him. One of the things that we have to get better at is being peacemakers. Because when we follow Jesus, we don't get the privilege of saying, you know what? 
Her and I don't agree, so she just stays there. I stay there. We're good. Because are you good? Because you might be good and you might have peace. But that's not what looks like Jesus. You know, a lot of us can say, I'm so grateful, God, forgive me. But we have sisters and cousins we don't talk to. We have people at work that we run away from we don't want anything to do with. We have people in our lives that we see. We say we believe in the God we can't physically see with our eyes yet. You know, we say we believe in him, but the sister and brother who's breathing right next to us, we're not living in harmony with them. You cannot have God's peace. You cannot be God's peacemaker. You're not following God if your life is a string of these broken relationships over and over again. If you're not willing to go and make peace. Because that's what Jesus is calling us to here. Blessed are the peacemakers. He knows this world will have trouble. He knows relationships are hard. He knows that nothing is perfect in this world. And he knows you will be hurt and you will be broken. But he still calls you to peace. And it's hard. And it's hard to find where, God, where, where does this even begin? But I say start with the Spirit. Start with prayer. And start with Jesus saying, help. Help me, Jesus. Because God wants all of us to look like him. Harmony with your kin. Harmony with your sister and brother. That's the kind of peace that Jesus is promising. Salam, Irene, shalom is not the absence of trouble or evil. God knows this world's messed up. It's not breaking news to him. God knows this world is broken. It's still not new to him. There's nothing new under the sun. We like to think there is. Like, well, God just doesn't understand. Or, or you know, like Christians and, and people, they just don't understand. This is a new thing. There's nothing new under the sun. God's seen it all, and he's healed it all, and he's saved it all. There's nothing new under the sun. But the peace that God is calling for is simply this. Are you working for the greatest good for your world? And we talk about broken relationships. Are you working for the greatest good of your sisters and your brothers around you? That's the peace that Jesus wants because Jesus knows us, right? He created us. He made us. He walked this earth like us. He moved into our neighborhood. He was here. He knows everything you've been through, and he knows there's something about us. We can love peace. It's easy to love peace. Most of us aren't really lovers of chaos. Most of us aren't lovers of things not being right. Most of us love this idea of peace. But Jesus knows us well enough to not say blessed are the peace lovers. Because sometimes we love our peace so much that we don't make peace. My uncle said something racist, but I, you know, I just, I don't want to bring it up at family dinner. My grandpa said something sexist, but you know what? We got to keep the peace. You know, let's just get through this meal together. My cousin posted something on Facebook I don't agree with, but you know what? Nothing good happens on Facebook, so I'm just going to leave it be. My coworker is consistently mistreating the sisters and brothers at my work, you know, but, you know, he's the manager and supervisor, and I'm just trying to get this promotion. You can love peace and not honor God. The peace that Jesus is talking about is what John Lewis and Martin Luther King called good trouble. My whole life, I thought they invented this. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what? Good trouble. The idea that when something is unjust, God calls us to fight it. And I wish I was smart enough to actually go back to my Bible and realize that the people of God always make good trouble. Aren't you glad this morning that Moses made a little good trouble? Aren't you glad this morning that Rahab made a little good trouble? How about Ruth? Aren't you glad she made a little good trouble? 
This is people who look like God. They cause good trouble. They see injustice. They see oppression. They see people suffering. And they make good trouble to reset the captives free. And that's what we're called to do. We are called to make good trouble because Jesus knows if we love peace, we'll passively accept things that are terrible. We'll passively accept things that other people tell us just because we're like, we don't want to talk about that stuff. But God calls you to make good trouble because the peace that he wants is the peace for the world. And the peace for the world comes at everybody being set free. Peacemakers are also then children of God. And and I I got this wrong for years because I was so proud of this. You know, those of us who grew up in the the, the faith tradition uh, or the peace position, we say, I, yeah, blessed are peacemakers for we're children of God. As if like being a child of someone is something you earned, right? When you have your children, they're here. You know, God forms them and makes them and they're here. That's biology 101. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) But we have two daughters, right? They didn't earn being our daughters. God created them and God blessed us with them. In the Hebrew, in the Greek follows suit. They just didn't have a lot of adjectives. You know, they didn't have a lot of words. So almost every word in the Hebrew and Greek is like umbrella words, right? You have one word like love, like 400 meanings. (laughs) So what they did to describe what people who look like God is to call them children. And this is why it's important. So, for example, you know, if you see, you know, one of my daughters doing something good, you look at them, you're like, that's definitely Shell's daughter, you know? But when you come on a Wednesday, you see them running around and jumping over the chair, like, that's definitely Hanks, you know? (laughs) You're using their relationship with me to describe them. That's the same thing that Jesus is doing here. Because here's the truth. You do not earn being a child of God. You cannot work to be a child of God. You can't do anything in your power to be a child of God. That's a gift he's gifted you and blessed you with. But what you can do is make peace by trying to live and love like Jesus lived and loved. And if you do that, the world will say, that's Jesus' daughter. That's God's child right there. Blessed are the peacemakers because they're not just the one who dream of making the world a better place. Blessed are the peacemakers because they're not just the one who celebrate having peace with God and me and God being good. May we lose that from our vocabulary. When people say, how are you doing in your faith? Or how are you doing? Say, me and God are good. Because it's not about you. It's not about you. For God so loved the world. Yes, you have peace with God, but do you have peace with your brother and sister? Do you have peace with the people in your life? Do you have peace with the people you work with? Do you have broken relationships or restored relationships? How are you and your sister doing? How are you and your brother doing? That's what it means to follow God. Blessed are the ones who don't just love peace, but they make peace with one another. Because the truth of the matter is, if our whole life, if our entire life is just full of conflict upon conflict upon conflict, we look like the devil. But if your life is filled with restoration and redemption and reconciliation, you get to look like your father. Amen? We're going to have communion this morning. There's just two things I want you to hold on to this morning. The first one is when we talk about what it means to be a peacemaker, God wants you to have the right perspective. God is love. God is mercy. God is grace. God is compassion. God is peace. Jesus himself came to make peace with us and God. How dare we not make peace with one another? 
That's the perspective to hold on to. That if God has forgiven me of so much, why can't I forgive you of this little thing? And it doesn't mean that this little thing is not going to be hurtful. And it doesn't mean that this little thing is not a big thing in my life, to be honest. But it does mean the scope, the perspective is what I'm talking about, right? The perspective. If God has forgiven billions upon billions of people for their billions upon trillions of sins, can you forgive this one? God has brought Jesus to bring peace to the world. And now God is saying to you, I need you to bring peace to your world. And the second one is simply this. God wants you to have the right perspective because once you have the right perspective, you can follow Jesus, who's the right example. God brings shalom through Jesus Christ. God brings the greatest good into this world through Jesus Christ. God restores and redeems and reconciles through Jesus Christ. But now God is saying, Jesus is working on heaven until it's perfect for you. That's one of my favorite thoughts to just think about. That God spoke this world into existence and he's working on heaven. I get excited because I don't even know what that means. That God spoke the world into existence, but heaven's not ready yet. Like that's amazing to me. Amazing to me. A lot of people go out and look out in the stars and say, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. God spoke that into existence. And he's working on heaven. That should get you excited. I'm going to force you to get excited. Get excited. <laughs> but God used Jesus to bring peace into the world. And my sisters and brothers, God needs you. God needs you. God needs you to bring peace into your world. Amen? Amen. To celebrate our oneness in Christ this morning, we'll be taking communion um, this is one of my favorite ways that we do communion. It might be my favorite way we do communion here. A lot of times in communion, we stop and we think about, you know, am I right with God? Where am I between God, right? But let us never forget that communion's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about what he has done and what he has done for us. And I love this way to celebrate communion because we're, 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 we line up, we come up front, we get the elements, and we go, we make a circle around the sanctuary, and you get to see that we're at the table together. You know, we have two stations here in the front of the sanctuary to get the bread and the cup. As you're ready, please exit your seat, get the elements, and proceed to start, form a circle around the sanctuary. We're actually going to start from the back and work our way around. As we're forming the circle, Pastor Esty and the team will, will play and we'll have lyrics on the screen, so feel free to sing along. Uh, Deacon or two will be ready. Um, in case, you know, we'll be standing for a little bit. If you need some help with a seat, a deacon or two can provide the seat. Or here's something even more wild. A brother or sister next to you might also get you a seat. Just ask them. We want you to feel free to participate in communion if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, we also know that, you know, you might not feel like I'm ready to take communion this morning. That's okay. We still would like you to be part of the circle as a celebration of us as a community together. Once the circle has been formed, I'll lead us in taking the bread and, and the cup together using our familiar community response. After we take the elements, there's one more song we'll sing together, and I'll do the benediction and dismiss you. However, you know, we want to pray for you. You know, if there's, if there's anything that you're going through that you need prayer for, please come up front. Um, intercessors will be up front with some of the pastors to pray for you. Or if there's a way for you to respond to this message, you know, maybe you have something or someone that you're just like, God, I need help on this. It's okay to need help. And it's okay to come before God. And you might be praying on your own and God's hearing you. But I know for us, for me, I don't put this on you, but for me, when I hear somebody else praying for me, I feel like I'm part of something bigger than myself. 
And I feel like God hears us better, maybe. You know, I know he does it, but in my head, it feels better to know someone else is praying and caring and loving for me this way. But before you come up and take this communion this morning, I'd like to ask you to do two things. Take time to get right before God. And all this is saying, God, here's what I need. Here's why I fell short. I need you to please forgive me, God. I want to be right with you. But I also want you to take time to think through, is there one person in your life right now that you're just not right with, that you're suffering brokenness a relationship with? And I want you to take time to ask for forgiveness for you. Even if they hurt you, ask for forgiveness for you. And I want you to pray for them. And when you're ready, I'd like to invite you to come up and let's take this, let's go to the table together. Amen?